choir, I'm really hoping that we are recognizing the greatness of God. Understand, we are not making him great by praising him. We are recognizing what already exists. And it's the fact that he is great. And so others may say, what happens if you don't praise God? You know what happens? We miss out because it doesn't change his greatness. When it talks about magnifying the Lord, people think that means to make him great. No, it means to pay attention and see him as great. It's a big difference. God is great whether you and I recognize it or not. But when you and I recognize his greatness, it changes things for us. Good morning, Solid Word. We are going to jump into our word. I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We were there last week. We're going to continue there, and we're going to finish there next week, verses 17 through 24. Last week, we talked about you know, how it is that we get to live in unity <clears throat> um, as, as the body of Christ and how God calls us to unity, and yet there is diversity in unity. And today, we want to look at living as that member of the body. And there is a critical command that the Lord lives. If you would stand with me for the reading of the scripture, we're going to read together. It is in the middle section of your bulletin if you don't have the scripture with you. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17, down to verse 24. <clears throat> it would be great if you could read along with me. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we read, listen to, and hear your word preached broken down, explained, Lord, that our hearts would be ready to receive and that we would leave here wanting to see and asking ourselves, how do we live in light of what we've just read and heard? I pray that you would make us ready, Lord, to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As Paul instructs and exhorts the Ephesians church on being equipped, we remember last week we heard that the that that the gifts that God gives are for a purpose. They're not for status. They're not for show. They're not for making us look good. And actually, the equipped individuals that God gives, we saw that last week, the apostles, the prophets, the, the, the evangelists, the pastor teachers, we saw those, and he said that there was a reason he gave them. And the reason was that the saints needed to be equipped. Equipped to do what? The work of ministry. Why do they need to be equipped to do the work, of, or the work of ministry? Or what is the work of ministry? It is that we would build up the body till that it looks like Christ more and more. And it says, until we reach unity in the faith 
And then it says, as a result of that unity, something's going to happen. That as a body of believers, we, are going to, we will no longer be tossed to and fro by every doctrine, by every teaching that comes down the pike. We're no longer children, immature, you know, that are thrown around by what someone says. Someone says something today, it sounds good to you as a child, and then you run and you believe it. Someone says something else, and you run and you believe it. He is saying that's not what happens when you mature. When you mature, you start to discern things and you start to analyze and you start to take it through a filter and you begin to realize that some things that people say aren't true, even if they say it on the internet. Yeah, some things are not true, whether they say it on Instagram or they tweet about it, some things are not true. It may be what a person truly believes, but it may not be the truth. And so he says that you'll no longer be these infants running around believing everyone's, nor are you someone that's being controlled by what someone else says, that, that, that you're not dictated by the purpose of someone else, that God gives us a purpose. And that purpose is to live out for him. And then he shifts gears and he comes again. He's talking to believers. And you have to understand some of the climate in Ephesians. I want to back up just a moment. The climate in Ephesians would be termed for us today very godless. You had so much happening there. Here was a place, for instance, where they had the Temple of Diana. And in the Temple of Diana, oh my gosh, they had some of everything going on. And they had in there that they believed that sexuality played a part in deity. And so they had temple prostitutes. And it was an act of worship for them. And so the, the culture was so sensitized and so sexually heightened and so impure. And here were these believers living in this environment. How do they live for Christ? They, they are seeing a total rejection of God in their culture. They are seeing a total walking away from honoring God in their culture, and yet they were called to live out with vigor this faith that they had. And so Paul comes back and he reminds them of where God brought them from. When we look at the first three chapters of Ephesians, where God brought them from, what he did to get them there, and that it all rested in Christ. And then as he gets that, then he takes them and says, now in light of the position that has been given, and we said this before, here is how you practice. Here's how you live. And he tells us to walk worthy at the beginning of chapter 4, and then he explains for the rest of the next two chapters how you walk worthy. Or three, so including four, five, and six. And so we get down to here in 17, and he, he gives them a critical command. That's the phrase. He gives them something that, that, that now is, is, is extremely important that they hear. Listen to how he starts it off in verse 17. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that, that the structure of that in the Greek, really gives an urgency in how he is saying it. He says, now listen here. That's like, you know, when the old folk come to you and say, now look, 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 look here, look here, listen here. And they get your attention. And so he comes and he says, not only do I say this, and I say that with urgency, he says, I testify or I say it 
in the presence of with the Lord as my witness because he would say the same thing. So in essence, he says, I'm saying this with the full authority of the Lord. And when someone says that, when they're, when they're, when they're giving you a message, someone comes to me and says, because I've had this done before, your mother told me to tell you that you better get your behind home by. And I was like, you spoke to my mom. Yeah, he, he said, I, I, was, I was walking by and she saw me and she said, you know what Curtis is? Yes. When you see him, tell him I said. There was a sense of urgency there that I didn't have to hear it directly from her. When that person said, I speak on your mother's behalf, I could have said, no, you don't. And when I got home, I would have realized that he did <laughs> the hard way. And so when Paul comes and says, I testify in the Lord, he is saying, I speak as if the Lord would say this himself. And then he says something that I have to ask a question about. He says, then he says <clears throat> that you no longer, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their mind. And actually, he says that no longer means from this point forward. When he says that you no longer, if someone comes to you and says, look, I want you to no longer do this, there's an assumption that you've been doing it. And you're given an opportunity to stop right now before anything else happens. So he says that you no longer do this. Wow. And so he says, you now have a choice, Ephesian Christians, before they didn't. This is interesting. He says that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility or the, or the emptiness, and we'll explain it in a moment, of their minds. Here's interesting. Why does he have to tell this to Christians? I thought that they would be walking with Christ. Why does Paul have to come to a group of Christ followers and say, stop walking like the world? But that's exactly what he had to do. Why? Because the culture was now crushing in on them. Somebody knows that you live in an environment that's hard, and it eventually begins to wear on you if you get no help and support. I remember one of my first jobs, I was working, at, I was working down at this bank in the Wall Street area. <clears throat> Don't let it sound impressive. I was in customer service, um, and, 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 and on this floor with about a hundred other of us, and we all had our desks on this floor, and half of the room dealt with taking trades and, and, and making trades in the market. We weren't that group. We were the other group that handled calls that would just answer the questions. <clears throat> and so it was working here, but that environment was just so godless. It, was, it would wear me. I would, I, would, I would spend time in prayer just going, God, help me on this job. These people are wearing on me. I one day walked up to a guy on the other side of the trading floor. Some of you guys have heard me say this individually, and he was cussing this person out like hard. He was going at it. And I'm going, wow, I, I'm, I'm hoping it's not a customer because you're about to lose your job, partner. And I was just like, and, me, and he's just going at it. And I told you, and he bleep, but he bleep, don't, don't ever call me here. I was like, oh, it's personal. And then before he finished, he said, Mom, I told you. And I was like, Mom. See, okay, let me help you. Had that been me, there would have been something new would have happened that you would have seen an arm reach through the phone <laughs> and pull me through the wires to where she was. This guy was cussing his mother out like 
she, he was, I mean, she was his worst enemy. And this was the kind of stuff that went on. And we had people that were proclaiming to be Christ that were, that were talking about all the exploits that they were involved in. And people that were carrying the title of minister and, and elder at their church that were living just crazy. And it was wearing. I remember just saying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm I was there for nine months before I got another job offer and got out. And sometimes the environment in our world is like that. Sometimes the environment in our school the environment where we go to hang out, sometimes the environment in our homes. And God says, how do you handle that? Boy, when you are tempted to walk like the world, which is where they had come from. Remember, he was talking to Gentiles, which is interesting. So when he says to no longer walk like the Gentiles, they're like, we are Gentiles. Paul, what are you talking about? But well, he wasn't talking about cultural Gentiles. When he was talking about that, he was talking about spiritually speaking, that these were people that, no, that were now part of the covenant. God brought them in and were now part of the family. Remember back in chapter 2 and early in the first three chapters, he explains how the dividing wall was broken down between Jews and Gentiles. What he was saying was there is no longer, you know, out of covenant and covenant people because of how you were born he says, now because you can be born again in Christ, you are now one. And so he had this new humanity, this new community of believers. But now when he called Gentiles, what he was saying was, stop acting like those that don't know me that are living outside of my covenant. And so they have a choice to make. There is a new life that now exists for them, so they don't have to live like that. But here's the deal. If they did not know Christ, there was no choice. They, they were Gentiles culturally, and they were Gentiles spiritually. And they were apart from God in every way imaginable. And Paul now paints a picture for them as to why this critical command is so important that they listen to. He says to them, here's why I want you to no longer live as the Gentiles. Number one, it is in the futility of their thinking. That futility, that word is moral and intellectual worthlessness. Now, here's what I'm not saying. It's not saying that these people are not experts in their area or in their fields that they work in day in and day out. They can be experts in whatever it is. They can be experts in their fields of science, and in their fields of education. They can be, they can be expert students. They can be expert um, um, athletes. They can be, he says, we're not talking about what they do in the world. You and I know people who are not walking with God, who are smart as ever, who are excellent in what they do, who are at the top of their field. So when he says moral and intellectual worthlessness, it is in light of what God has intended for you and I as humanity. It is worthless. He says, here's how the unbeliever lives. They live in the purposelessness, the aimlessness of their mind. The way they think, the whole structure of how their life is set is worthless. Why? Because it does not have an enduring purpose. See, all of who they are, all of what they do ends right here on earth. And God says, that's short term. That's like you having a layover at the airport and you set up shop like that's all that there is to your life. How many of you have ever had a three or four hour layover? I have. 
and you feel like you're going to be there forever. How many of you were stuck in the airport and you were there forever? It seemed like but you were there overnight. It would be crazy that you set up shop during your layover as if that all that there was to your life. And you, I'm, I'm only living for these five hours. This is all I got. And you would say, that's, that's pretty worthless. And you begin to gauge your life based on those five hours. Do you know, in light of eternity, that's what we're doing with our lives? Okay, even if we live to be 100 years old, what is 100 beside 100 million? What is 100 beside 1 billion? Because even after 1 billion years in eternity, guess what? You've just got started because it keeps going. And so when you line it up, what is 70, 80 years in light of forever? That's like five hours in an airport. And so God is telling you and I, stop living your life as if it's just, a, I mean, as if the importance of it is in the layover. Now, he gives us purpose in this time. I had someone that say life in the dash. And I say life in the dash. You know, when you go to the cemetery, you see a beginning date and an end. There is no one in that cemetery that doesn't have an end date on that tombstone. Everyone that's there, there's an end date. There's a beginning, dash, ending. And what you do in the dash is so important because it sets up for eternity. And so someone was explaining to me life in the dash. Curtis, how was your life in the dash? And I was like, first of all, I'm not that fast. I don't know what you meant. He said, no, no, not that dash. Dash. Interlude. The time God gives you and I here. So he tells them, look, no longer stop. Make a choice. No longer walk. Because, because all of what is involved, it says the futility of their mind. And that mind is everything. All of what is involved with the mind, that is the thoughts, the emotions, the values that you set, the decisions, he said, for the unbeliever, it is all futile. And we got to catch that the next time we want to live like someone that's not living for God. God says, you're not looking past the moment. Okay, it may look flowery right in front of you, but you're not looking past the moment. He says, it's all futile. But then he goes deeper. He doesn't stop there. He says, no, is it futile? He says... They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Boy, that is some progression. Let's kind of break that down real quick. He says, number one, he says they are darkened in their understanding. He says they, they, are, they are twisted in, 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 now this is intellect, the way they process things, the way they think about life, the way they go about making decisions is darkened. It's blind, it's twisted, they can't see. And so he says, now understand this, their understanding, their, their intellect, so, so, so when they put a twist on things, when they start, here's, here's what's important, life without God is like being in a dark room trying to build something. He says, you can't even see what you're building. Not only that, you can't see what you're doing. You can't see where you're going. He says, and so for the unbeliever, that is where they are. For the person that has chosen not to walk with God, 
or not to live with God, it's like living life in a dark room. Your whole understanding is based on darkness. I thought I could see. I remember when I needed glasses. I thought I could see until that dark. You know how they put the different lenses up? You know, how's this? How's that? How's this? How's that? And they're going through it. And the moment they put the lenses that I would be prescribed with, I was like, whoa. And so I said, no. And so she said, let me show you how you've been living before. She was smart. She took it off, and I was like, oh, I was blind. <laughs> yep. And then she put the lenses back on. I see clearly. And so now, all of a sudden, I realize I've been living in this fog, and that is what it's like for the person outside of Christ. You think it's cool, and this is all there is. And then one day, God opens your eyes, and you go, I was blind. What? And then now you start to see. And so he says to them, listen, their understanding is darkened. And what that leads to is that being out of touch with reality. See, here's what it is. They think that they have the reality. They look at you like you're weird, like you don't have reality. They look at you like something is wrong. And he says, they're the ones that are out of touch with what really matters in life. They're out of touch with reality. And so he says to you and I, he says to you and I, if you want to be out of touch with reality, be out of touch with me. God says, if you really want to know what life is really about, he says, be in touch with me. And so he says, their understanding is darkened. They are alienated from the life of God. What does that mean? They are outside of the covenant. The life that God gives, that, 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 that wellspring of a life of purpose that only God gives, they don't possess. So again, he's telling them, Stop walking like that because this is how it is. He kind of uncovers and gets to the root of where their life is. This is how it is. And then he says, not only are they alienated from the life of God, then he goes on. He takes this thing even further. He says, he says they have, oh, they're alienated from the life of God, sorry, because of the ignorance that is in them. They don't know what they don't know. They're ignorant to it. Sometimes it can be referred to as a willful blindness. I just want to, I want to not know. Don't tell me I don't want to know. You know, that's like the person that likes eating hot dogs. If you ever found out how hot dogs are made, I have to willfully, and I've had some since. I've had some, and and you know what? That was willful ignorance. I don't want to know anymore. Don't tell me. You know, your favorite foods, and you go, you know what's in it, you go, and you're about to tell me, aren't you? Don't. I don't want to know. I want to hear it. Because I don't want to have to deal with it. And so that's a willful ignorance. And God says for some of them, I don't want to hear what you got to say about that. I want to hear what God has to say. I want to know what God wants. Let me be ignorant. Ignorance is bliss. No, ignorance is dangerous. Because you don't know where it's going to end. And so he says they are, the ignorance that is in them, it says that it currently exists. It did before, and it still does in the past with implications into the present. Ignorant, and he says, why? All of this, 
the futility of their mind, the alienation from God, the ignorance that is in them is a result of a hardened heart. And this is where Paul camps out with the believers. That hardened heart really is, is a callus has formed over their heart, or they've become desensitized to what? To what is right and what God is saying, what God has been shouting to them, or even quietly saying that they, that they, that they move from, that they come to him. They constantly are rejecting the truth and rejecting God. And each time we think it's nothing, each time they reject, the callous forms more and more and more. And I know sometimes callous on the hands of a person means that you've worked hard. But callous on the eyes is not good. Callous on the heart is not good. Most times callous isn't because what a callous is is skin that has come over and it takes away feeling. And you become more and more desensitized. And so there is greater risk of harm and you not even know it. Why when you go to the dentist and you get the injection that numbs your gum, do they tell you not to eat something until the feeling comes back because you can end up chewing off your lip and not know it because you don't feel it. This is why they tell you to wait. And God says for the person who keeps rejecting and keeps rejecting, that sensitivity to the voice of God is less and less and less. And that heart is harder and hardened and hardened and harder. And he says, and so, and so they now start to ignore God because they can't sense what he's saying. They start to think in futility because they've kept rejecting God, but he is saying this to believers. Here's something I want you guys to understand. There is a phrase Dr. Brian Chappell uses in his commentary that I loved. He talked about for the Christian almost innocent. We come and we think that things are almost innocent. God, this is, this is, this is, this is not going to hurt anyone. It's, it's almost innocent. I can do this. It's not that bad, God. And we know God is saying, back away, don't back. And here's the problem with it. Every time God puts it up in front of us and he says, here's what I want you to quit doing, and you go, but God, it's not that bad. A little more callous, a little more callous until you start being desensitized. That sin doesn't even bother you anymore. It used to, it used to make you cringe. Now you laugh at it. Now you go, oh, I ain't that bad. Come on. You need to step into the real world. And he is saying here, that's what the unbeliever does. See, you think it's almost innocent. God says it's developing a callus. And then you and I get to the point where God is talking and we don't hear. He says that their hearts are hardened. Here's the result, verse 19. Their hearts are hardened. Here's the result. They have become callous. We just talked about that. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice more. Here is what begins to happen with them now. It says that in order, when we reject God, in order to have a satisfying life, what I now have to do is I have to bring in something that, that, that is sensual, that excites. I have to keep it going more and more and more. I have to take more. And, and you know, we, we talk about with, 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 with alcohol and with drugs, people realize that, 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 they, that they take that first hit and it probably affects you the most and you never get back there again. 
because it takes more to get there and it takes more and it takes more. I remember years ago, this was before I left New York, before I met my wife, I was at a barbershop in my local neighborhood and, and, and this, is, this, is when, this is when crack cocaine first hit. I was sitting by these two guys. They're about two seats down from me in this hole-in-the-wall barbershop, guy I've been going to since I was five years old. And we're sitting there, and these two guys are talking, and I wasn't listening to that first until he said something that perked my ear. Then, then I was eavesdropping. I was over there listening. And he said, here's what the guys, I never forget it. He said, man, he said, man, let me tell you, I took a hit of this new stuff out. He said that crack, and he said, oh, my gosh. He said, first he talks about the high, then he said, everything within me wanted another hit. He said, he said, my whole body craved it. And he said, it scared the life out of me because I knew I heard people say, you never get back to that first high. You keep trying and trying and more and more. And what you don't realize you're doing, he said, is you're actually destroying yourself trying to get back to that first enjoyment, and you never can. It is a desensitizing of, of, of the emotion, of the feeling. And so for many people out there, what you see people doing in the world is because they are trying to get that satisfaction. And okay, uh, that relationship, that one didn't do it, so I need another one. I need another one. Another one, another one, another one, another And money, wow, I can make that much? Oh, that's great. And so I've got to make more, 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 more. And in the process of what I hope these things can do for me, I'm destroying myself. I'm killing myself. So I'm killing myself with education. Education is great. Go get it, period. But when that becomes the priority of your life, you can never get enough. I talked to a brother that said, I, was all, I always felt dumb, and so I did this education to feel smart. And he said, I went and I got my undergrad. And he said, I still felt dumb. And I went and I got my graduate degree. And I went and got my doctorate. And he said, it's still, I realized the problem wasn't my education. He said, the problem was I was trying to get it to satisfy my life and it never could. Now, if God allows you to get a doctorate, go get it. Use it. Do what God wants, but he says it will never satisfy. And that can go anywhere. It can go for money, career, sports, friends, relationships, anything that replaces God as a first priority, you can never get enough. So he says to them now that they become callous and that they keep seeking and that greedy for more is saying that there is, that they are always lusting for more of whatever they can never have enough. Now, let me ask you, as we end that, he says, let me ask you, verse 19, he says, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Is that what you want from your life? Is that what you want? Is that how, see, he's, this is the end of it. I'm showing it to you now. And he tells him to stop. He says, no longer walk that way. But then he tells him, but that's not how you learned Christ. And I like the instruction. He says, that's not what happened when you came. You heard the gospel. He says, he says I assume that you heard about him. And actually in the Greek, that about is not there. He says, I assume that you heard him. You heard the call and you responded to the call. And in hearing the call, you now moved and you got instruction after the call. You got instruction after the call, and you started to grow, and you started to increase. He says, this is how you learn Christ. 
And then he tells him that you need to put off something as we're coming out to him. And he says, he said that, that you were taught in him as the truth is Jesus, or it's in Jesus, the embodiment of truth. Jesus doesn't give truth. He is truth. And so he says you need to know him. And then in knowing him and watching him and hearing him is truth. Listen what he says. He says then that you put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and corrupt and, and is corrupt. We just saw that through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Let's talk about that for just a moment as we finish this. Here's what he's saying. He's not telling us every day to put off and put on. That's not what this text is talking about. He said it's already happened for the person in Christ. When you came to Christ, you already put off the old man. The new has come. It's there already. What Paul is saying here is live like it. He is saying that you already have the ability. The implication here is that you live out what has already happened. Many of us today are living as if we've not come to Christ. Not because we can't. It's because we're choosing not to. We're listening to people around us who are on their way to destruction. We are wanting to live like those around us. We envy them. We envy what they have. And God says, this is what I've done for you. When he tells them to put on, here's what he's telling them. He's saying, begin to live out the implications of what has already happened. Stop living like you have nothing. Can you imagine you've lived a certain way and you were lacking resources for years, and you finally, all that hard work paid off, and now you are getting paid. You are living well, and you go, I can't live like that. And you keep living like you did when you lacked resources. You keep living like you did when you couldn't do anything better for yourself. You keep living. People will look at you like you were nuts. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Now, I know we have our brother Maurice who was chosen to live among the homeless, but that was a choice so that he could help. And he's living out based on the knowledge that he's had over the years in helping the homeless as a brother with a legal mind, with the mind of an attorney. Now what I'm talking about, I'm talking about that person. You have a new way of life available to you, and you choose to live in the old one. And God is saying to you and I today, why are you doing that? Stop it. He said, you've already been changed. Why are you living like you haven't? And so he reminds us, look, that new self... It was created to look like God, so why don't we? It was created to mirror God, so why don't we? How is it looking like God? Two things, he says, in righteousness and holiness, in living rightly before God, an approved life that God would approve of, and holy meaning that you are living with the, with, with the without sin in mind. It doesn't mean that you won't sin. It means that when you do, it bothers you, and you get it right. You don't coddle it. You know, most of us, I'll say many, I'll back up, I won't say most. Many of us that say I'm struggling with the sin, what we're struggling with is the fact that I like that sin, and I don't want to give it up. 
That's what I'm struggling with. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, hey, this is hard. The struggle is I don't want to say no. And God says to you and I, you just need to start living. Live like I've changed you because I have. Yes, I know we struggle at times because we have to unlearn patterns. But God says he's not telling us to dress better. God's not trying to dress a pig. He's not. He said, I've created a whole new man and woman. God's not trying to dress up your old way of life. He's not trying to make you look better in the old way you were. God says there's nothing to be done with that old man. It is on its way to permanent destruction. He says, but you now have a new man right beside you. And he says, that's who you spend time with and on. And so when he says to put off and put on, he's not saying every day you get off and stop doing those bad things. No, God says start living out of the new man I've created when you came to Christ. And so all we have to do now for us as we read Scripture, start listening to what the Lord says. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it seems unfair. It's a whole new way of thinking. I'm trying to think with the old man. I'm trying to think with the old man and trying to live with the new, and I can't do it. I can't do both. That's like the person that has changed their body. They have, they have, they have, they have lost weight. They have, they have done all these things, and they have changed how they look, and they're trying to wear them old clothes. I remember that first time when I dropped, we were in Europe, and, and I dropped 40 pounds. Someone came to me because I had on the old clothes. And someone came to me after service. I just finished preaching the message and said, are you okay? I said, I am. They said, that suit is swallowing you. Thank you. Glad you noticed. <laughs> they was like, you need some new clothes. I said, I do. You going to buy them? <laughs> but I did. Why? Because new me in old clothes didn't look right. And for you and I... New you in old self doesn't look right. And God says for you and I, stop living the old you's life and live for God. So he says, hey, put off and put on. And in doing that, God says, you will live like I intended because I've made you new. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. God, that you have given us of yourself. 